Well, good morning, fellowship, and uh, for all of those who are looking on on your computers or screens or this kind of thing, this is time during the service in which we often will just greet one another. But right now in our worship center, there's a, some of our staff are here and volunteers, and so we just want everybody to give one another an air high five. Yes, and just uh, just uh, connect with the hearts. And also, I'd like for you to, to, if you're gathered around a computer, you're with your family, or you're with someone else there, just uh, remind one another how much joy there is in knowing that God is with us. God is with us. Circumstances may change, but the fact of the matter is that he is indeed with us right now. Uh, God is not up in heaven sipping maylocks and trying to get a focus group together to figure out what are we going to do about COVID-19. Uh, he, he knows what he's going to do. He knows why it has happened. He didn't send it, but he will use it for his glory. And in that, we can rejoice. We can rejoice. I have to let you know that this was a, a hard decision to come to because we love gathering together, uh, being together as a body. There's nothing like coming here on Sunday morning for me and so many of us and seeing one another and being able to touch each other and interact with one another. It was a hard decision, but when we thought about it, we said the most loving, kind thing to do would be to not put one another in harm's way right now. And so we made the choice and made the decision, not out of fear, this was out of love, uh, that we did not want someone to come, particularly some of our older members, uh, to come and realize that we exposed them to this. And so that's the reason why we made this choice and made this decision. And another thing I want to say here is that, uh, you know, um, as Matt said earlier, and I just thought he set this up so well, uh, the church is not the buildings. It's not our facilities anyway. Uh, it's not the classrooms. It's not the accoutrements and all of these things that we get so accustomed to and used to and a little upset when they don't work right. That's not the church anyway. The church is the people. It's us. And God meets us where we are. And just imagine all around the world, uh, you know, we're doing today what many, many of our brothers and sisters have been doing for years uh, because of persecution, oppression, other kinds of catastrophes. They've had to meet in small groups and small homes everywhere. So we're praying that God will use this season and we don't know how long it's going to last, but that God will use this season to nurture our hearts, to strip back the stuff that's non-essential and cause us to focus on the stuff that really matters, the stuff that is is enduring. Today I was supposed to begin a series on Daniel entitled Living Above the Fray. But as we're talking with our team and interacting and just thinking about the impact of this virus, I, I, I felt as if this would not, that would not be a very appropriate thing. And so I needed to scuttle that and push it off to the side. I still think God wants me to preach on that and give that series, but I'll push that off to the side, and uh, I believe the Lord wants me to talk today about facing and conquering fear. Facing and conquering fear. And you might want to take a few notes, so if you have a pencil or pen nearby your computer or this kind of thing, I want to encourage you to jot this down. Not because of uh, the fact that I have something so uh, profound to say, but because what the scriptures have to teach us today that will anchor us as we weather not only this storm, but all of the tragic twists and turns of life, all of the uncertainties of life. So I would invite you to do that. I know we prayed, but let's bow our heads again and have another word of prayer. 
Holy Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your presence with us. That's, that's a heavy reality. Your presence with us. We thank you that you promised never to take a stage exit on us. Never depart and say, hey, look, I've taken you this far, lots of luck. But you are always with us. And may that realization grip and govern our hearts and minds today. Lord Jesus, speak and give hope. I don't just pray for myself, but I just pray for many of my colleagues right now at this very hour all across the country and many parts of the world. They're doing the same thing. They, they are going live stream or taping it and asking people to look at it later on. Lord, send your anointing in favor. Send your blessing encourage and strengthen your people. And even for those who may be looking on and listening who have yet to say yes to Jesus, I pray that the love of God and the power of our Savior and his tender compassion for us will draw them to you. Thank you, Father, for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's safe to say that uh, there's not a person in this country, if not around the world, who's not in some way been affected by COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Uh, that's, that's where we are. And by the way, sh we should be very concerned. All of us should be very concerned and, and take appropriate measures. You know, be very careful of, of uh, uh, saying that reckless behavior is really faith. Faith and recklessness are not the same thing. And sometimes people will take chances that's not very wise. And so I would encourage us to listen to our healthcare professionals and to uh, uh, take appropriate precautions. Don't do anything silly or foolish uh, or presumptive. And, you know, wash your hands. I feel as if the skin's getting ready to fall off my hands. But that's all very important right now. However, there is a difference between concern and fear. There's a difference between concern and fear. Be very careful that you don't use the word concern as sort of a euphemism for fear. Concern and fear are two very different things. Uh, concern, concern, for example, is, is the awareness that something needs to be addressed. It's a priority. I'm concerned about this and I better address this. It now has become a priority, and we should be very concerned about the coronavirus. It is something to be addressed. However, fear is different. Fear is different. Fear is a strong, uncontrollable or uncontrolled emotion. It is a reaction. It is, it, it is, it, it is driven by something that might be actual or a perceived danger. And fear is irrational. And we've got to be very careful of that because fear really is idolatry when you stop to think about it. For we have elevated the circumstance or the situation or whatever it might be to a place where it determines our response and we can't think clearly. Fear is a very dangerous thing. Now again, we ought to be very concerned about this COVID-19 virus. I mean, it's terrible. It's a bad thing. And it's, it's, it, 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 it's impacting people and, and particularly the elderly. And so we need to be very concerned about that. But I'm going to say something right now that's uh, beginning to trouble me just a little bit. And as Christians, we should not get pulled into that. Uh, we see evidence that the virus is triggering somewhat of a mass hysteria among some people. 
And when you stop to think about it, in the long run, this hysteria can produce more damage than the virus itself. And so we have to be careful of where fear might take us. This obsession. Uh, realize that God is on his throne. He's not sipping Malox over our, our predicament. Uh, he knows what he's doing. And we are people who depend upon God. And for us not to know what tomorrow brings is not a problem because we serve the one who does know what tomorrow brings. And so we need to put the brakes on the fear. And I just want to articulate a few things here about fear. As followers of Christ, we cannot be ruled by fear. We cannot be ruled by fear. You can't do that. And just uh, just to articulate a few things that you probably already know about fear, there, there are all kinds of negative effects of fear. By the way, in my own personal life, no, no decision I've ever made when I've been afraid or panicked has ever turned out right. It has always been extreme. It has always been excessive. And many times it's been flat out wrong choice. And so to be fearful <laughs> clouds everything. And here's some of the negative uh, uh, impact of fear. Fear produces anxiety and panic, which is not a good thing. Fear produces the inability to relax. There's the absence of peace, this frenetic, frantic behavior. Uh, fear weakens, by the way, the immune system. I'm not a medical doctor, but my research indicates that it triggers a number of chemicals in our brain that actually weakens our immune system. The more fearful and panicky we are, the, 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 it's more likely that we're not going to be very healthy. Fear is associated with depression. You're feeling overwhelmed, the loss of hope. Fear also produces obsessive phobias. You begin to obsess over things that don't really make sense. What if this? What if that? What is this? What is that? What if that? What if this? What is that? Before you know it, you're down this pike and you're, you're detached from normalcy or reality. Fear also damages our confidence. It erodes our ability to move with surety and make confident decisions and to be objective about choices. Why? Because we're reactionary. We're scared. And of course, we know that fear, uh, fear is associated with all kinds of coronary issues and heart damage. It's amazing what it does. Uh, fear also causes us to miss out on the things that might be good for us. We're scared, and so we get scared, we get immobilized. We're afraid to do even the things that are positive. And then fear worsens memory. Because mentally, we're obsessed with what could be, and we just can't think straight. Well, there are any number of things that fear does to us, and fear is not a good thing. And that's the reason why fear not is the most repeated command in the Bible. By far, it is the most repeated command in the Bible because God himself knows the number one idol, the number one threat is, is, is the fear threat. Fear will immobilize his people and keep God's people back, back from pursuing him, from hearing his voice, and from freely following him. And again, I want you to hear me. We ought to be concerned. We ought to be concerned. We ought to be concerned with issues. Something bad happens, uh, whether it's uh, COVID-19 or whether it's a bad report that we get from the doctor or something. We ought to be responsible stewards and we ought to be concerned. 
But no one or nothing or no circumstance in life should rule and determine our responses. God does. God does. Now, with that in mind, how do we face and conquer our fear? How do we face and conquer our fear? What do we do? As I mentioned to you, I changed my message just uh, on Friday as we made the final decision to go in this direction. And as I was studying Friday and yesterday morning, uh, it is amazing just the voluminous material in the Bible about conquering and overcoming fear. Amazing. So I decided to camp in the Psalms and discovered it's amazing the voluminous material found in the Psalms about conquering fear. And I said to myself, well, how do you organize this thing? I'm not going to do a series on fear. Not, who knows? I don't know what I'm going to preach on next week. Maybe I'll do part two. But then I decided as I read all these verses on fear, I came to the conclusion that you can categorize them under these three batters. And I put them in statement form. So I want to suggest to you that there are three statements from the Psalms, and we're not going to go through all the Psalms, just some selective ones. Three statements from the Psalms that we need to embrace if we're going to conquer fear and anxiety and threat to our hearts and lives. The first banner statement is this. Number one, we need to remember who is with us. It's remarkable how, how, how fear is dwarfed by God's presence. You read these contexts all the time. Uh, uh, David just read one, or, or I'm sorry, Allison just read one from, from Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Fear not, dot, 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 for the Lord your God is, prepositional phrase, with you. With you. The greatness outside of you should calm the fear inside of you. Who's with you? Who is with you? In Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2, Matt read that at the very beginning. Um, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, conclusive, conclusion, conclusive statement. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, we refuse to fear based on this text because God himself, God himself, God himself is our refuge, our strength, and our immediate help. God himself. You know, I read that I couldn't help but think. I remember when I was a little boy and uh, growing up in Newark, New Jersey, my dad was an avid New York Yankee fan. And, uh, and I was a little dude. I was like four or five years old. And we would get on the Hudson Tube to go over to Manhattan, uh, Penn Station there, and then transfer to a subway going up to the Bronx. And this was on Saturdays. And back, in, back then, they had a lot of baseball games on Saturday afternoons. And the subways were always crammed and crowded. But I always felt safe. Why? Because my dad, I was a little dude, and he would have me in his grip. He would have me in his grip. And so when the psalmist says, <laughs> God is our refuge and strength, 
a very present help in the time of trouble. He was saying, who has you? Who has you? Now, I want you to pay attention to who is our refuge? Who is our strength? Who is our very present help in the time of trouble? And I know we hear the name God all the time, but think about who God is. Those attributes. He's omnipotent. He's, he's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at one time. He is love. He is just. He is righteous. He is merciful. All that he is, is with us. With us. Now notice he says that he is our refuge. That means he's our protection. You, you can't get past God. You can get past me. You can figure out how to break out of jail. You can figure out how to break into somebody's house. You can get past the gated community. There's nothing that a man makes that can't, you can't penetrate. You can think, get past the firewall on computers and all that stuff. But you're not going to get past God. That's, that's, that's what he means when he says, God is our refuge. No one, nothing gets past God. He says God is our strength. Not only is he our refuge, but now actively he is our strength. When he tells us to keep moving, you can assume that he's going to empower us. He's going to give us what he has. That's the emphasis in the passage. God is our refuge, but all God is is also our strength. So the question is not whether I, I have the strength or the capacity to, to face COVID-19 or whatever is, is the crisis du jour. That's not the issue. The issue is, are, is our God able? Can he keep us going? So he is our strength. But then he says he's our immediate help. The expression, our present help. Our present help. In other words, his assistance is not delayed. He will help you now. Now. Now the question is, sometimes our, our view of what, our, what, what help we need is different from what God says we actually need. He may not take you out of a situation when you say, God, take me out of this right now. He says, nah, 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 but I am going to help you. I'm going to sustain you in it. But whatever you need, God is there. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, now once you notice the, the, the intentional change of name, it says, the Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now here we refuse, to we, we refuse to be fearful because the Lord himself, the Lord himself is with us. Now what's the big difference between God and Lord? God and Lord. In your Bibles, the word Lord should be in all caps. I'm going to quote a verse from Psalm 55, verse 16, where David says basically the same thing. He's actually talking about the heartache that he's been through and a devastating set of circumstances that he's in. The kingdom has been taken away from him, and his son Absalom is coming to kill him, and his best friend, Ahithophel, has betrayed him, and he's out here in the wilderness. He says, well, what shall I do? It looks like the end is coming. I'm overwhelmed. My son wants me very dead. 
and he's got this army and he might be able to pull this thing off. I'm in a crisis. And then he says in verse 16, he says, I shall call upon God, all that God is, Elohim. And then he says, and the Lord will save me. The Lord will save me. Capital L-O-R-D. Well, what's the significance of that? Well, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh, or we say Jehovah. Technically speaking, there's no such name as Jehovah. It is sort of a, a transliteration of an abbreviation. It was a sacred name of God, and the reason why it's a sacred name of God, because it's the name of God that always refers to God's supernatural intervention on our behalf. So over here in Psalm 27, verse 1, when David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's saying, he's saying, the personal intervention of God is my light and my salvation. God does not just care about us from a distance. He cares about us in our reality. And so when he says, the Lord is my light, that means he directs, he will direct me. I don't know what to do. That's okay. You press into him. He knows what to do. I'm at my wit's end. That's a good thing. The Lord's not at his wit's end. He is wisdom. He is my light. He says, and the Lord is my salvation. That means he, not only will he direct us, he will deliver us. The personal God. He's not somebody else's God. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he's not just somebody else's God. It's not just your mother's God or your brother's God or some, quote, great Christian you know that prays a lot, God. No, it's yours. And he will deliver you. And he says, he's the stronghold of my life. That means he's my security, my stability. I don't need to have shoulders that are slumped. I don't need to keep popping pills and Maalox and anxiety and all of this stuff. I don't need to have nervous reaction each time they loop around with another report on what COVID-19 is doing. I don't need to submerge myself in panic. I can act with security and great stability and even confidence. Why? Because it's not what I know about the future. I don't know what the future is going to hold. But we know who is with us. Christians, let's act as if we know who is with us. Giving into worry and anxiety means that we have become practical atheists. Our behavior denies our theology. He is Lord. So the very first statement is, summarizing some of these great texts of Scripture on fear in the Psalms, number one is that we need to remember who is with us. Number two, in the midst of threat and worry and anxiety and upheaval and all these things that are going on, we need to make the Lord our passionate pursuit. 
there's a little bit of a, an ellipsis here. Don't make the crises your passionate pursuit. Don't make the threat your obsession. But make the Lord your passionate pursuit. Where do you get that from? Psalm 34, verse 4. Listen to what David said. In the midst of pressure, in the midst of crises, in the midst of uncertainty, he writes these words. He writes these words. You're talking about being quarantined. He was, in, he was hiding out in caves. And he writes these words. He says, I sought the Lord. And then notice, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. What delivered me from all my fears? Who delivered me from all my fears? What did David do? He did not experience the deliverance from his fears until he prioritized his passion, until he prioritized the Lord. I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. See, there's too many conflicted Christians. And I've been there myself. I, I, I'll say that myself. I, I've crossed over that. You know, anything, you, I'm not a worrier by nature. And on balance, I wouldn't say I'm a particularly fearful person. But anything having to do with something threatening Karen or my kids or my grandkids, you got my attention. You got more than my attention. You got my obsession. But here the deal is this. David is saying that the answer to this stuff that's still suspended and still not resolved in your life that is threatening to you is to not keep parsing the threat. The answer to that is the pursuit of the Lord. Who and what are you seeking? Are you spending more time on the internet chasing down every little thing that COVID-19 could do and what are the scenarios and what are, the, what are this kind of thing and you're, 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 you're following the, 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 the plunging of the stock market and you're looking at what you don't have and all of this kind of stuff and we get backdoored into seeking information and the information becomes, oddly enough, the Lord of our lives. But David says, I sought the Lord. And he delivered me, answered and delivered me from all my fears. Fear and threat should drive us to who is certain. That's the point. Fear and threat should drive us to who is certain. In my life, God has used crises to force decision. And that's what David is saying. I'm forcing decision. Actually, I am praying and I'm, I, I'm praying that this, 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 this pandemic will speak not only to the world, but to the United States of America in a very special way. The forced decision. You can't control this. And I'm delighted that the president today has called this a national day of prayer. The admission, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, we can't control this. Much like 9-11, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. I sought the Lord. What does this all imply? 
I think that verse implies that we need to remove the idols. Remove the idols or the distractions in our lives. Who and what are we really trusting? Who and what are we really trusting? Karen and I went in a couple of weeks ago to our financial advisor. We were thinking about the future, looking at all this stuff, and got some great news that we're, hey, we're going to be okay, right? Then I looked at the stock market. We ain't okay. Who and what are we trusting? Who and what are we trusting? And crisis says, I want you to get rid of the distractions. Remove the idols. It also implies make him your everything. Implicit in the statement, I sought the Lord. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. I accept the reality that I, 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 I have limitations. I'm not as smart as I thought I did before this crisis hit. I'm not as resourceful as I thought I was. I sought the Lord. You make him your everything. And then it also implies live in his presence. I don't think the seeking of God means it just in his devotional time when he woke up that morning, he spent some extra time with God and read a few extra chapters in the Torah. I don't think that's what it means. I think what David means is that I sought every, every area of my life throughout the day I'm making him my everything, and I'm living in his presence. I'm living in his presence. He's the only one that's worth living for. And then finally, it implies to expect him to speak. It's the promise. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Seeking God is not some little placebo, or band-aid. No, when we seek God, God responds to us. He will indeed answer. So, these banners, how do we face and conquer fear? Well, number one, <laughs> we have to remember who's with us. To remember who's with us. Number two, we have to make the Lord our passionate pursuit. Who am I going after? Who is singular in my life? And then the third banner under which we could group all of these statements on fear I'll just put it this way. Number three, warning, don't take matters into your own hands. Don't take matters into your own hands. Now, here's, here, here's what I, uh, we, this is where we live right, right here. Too many of us are, are more resourceful than we ought to be. Let me just put it that way. We're, we're, we, we have an unfounded confidence. 
We think because we've been able to solve our problems and resource things and we know people that can answer questions for us and we've got great context and we can network and this kind of thing, we have shifted our trust to those things and we actually think that we are the source of our own deliverance. That we can sort of recreate our reality. You know, that we can work this thing out here. I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody and we'll just keep working this thing and we'll get, it, we'll get the answer. And every once in a while, God just has to throw in a monkey wrench. Now, you don't, know, you don't know enough people. You're not bright enough. So what do we do? What do we do? One is, the top one, and I just connected, and it connected to what I just said a few moments ago, is that we need to just, just, Sit and soak in his presence. Maybe the reason why we don't know what to do is, is, is God's message. You don't know what to do, we'll stop trying to do it. Maybe that's the message. He says here in Psalm 46, verse 10, the first part of that verse says, Be still. Now notice, notice these words. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Still know. Still know. Still know. What is he saying? That when he says be still, he's not saying don't do anything. He says be still and know. He says be still and know. Uh, first of all, quiet your heart and your mind. That's what he means by that. In other words, famous words of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I, I quote him often on this, uh, don't listen to yourself, speak to yourself. And it's during times like this where you just have to, you just have to, okay, once you've been through the loop with, uh, you know, Fox and CNN and all the others where they've told you what they need, they updated you, you got your facts down, stop, stop listening to that every half an hour. Sometimes you just say, oh, okay, we got the information. All right, we got it. What do you want me to do? Shh. Shh. Quiet your heart. And quiet your mind. Be still. Settle down. Stop with the frantic reaction. You don't need to wash your hands again. You just did it five seconds ago, okay? Shh, quiet. Then he, this also implies, though, you, you, you quiet your heart and your mind, be still, but then take comfort in who you know. He says, know that I am God. I think, I think what he means by that is to rehearse the God knowledge that you have. What do you know about God? What do you know about his nature? What do you know about how he works? Shh, be still. Now is the time to let all this stuff, all this Bible and 
mid-sized community group sessions and classes that we've had and small groups that we've been into and discipleship groups that we've had and all of that, now is the time for you to take this out of the cranium and let it, let it marinate in your heart and your soul. No, no, no that I am. I am God. I am God. So soak in his presence. That's under the banner of don't take matters into your own hands. You soak in his presence, but there's an active part here. You respond to his leading. To wait on God does not mean you do nothing. You respond to his leading. Where do you get that from? Well, Psalm 27 verse 14 says this. Wait for the Lord. Now, notice again, that's capital L-O-R-D. The emphasis, inference is that Yahweh is coming. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Shammah, all these names of God that speaks of his intervention into your given set of circumstances, he will show up. But he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Then he says, did you hear what I said? Wait for the Lord. He says, wait twice. Now, what that implies is that you follow his leading. You wait for the Lord. And listen, Christians, we we are notorious for this. Don't try to lead God. I, I've, I've heard Christians do that, and I, I, I did this myself in the past. I don't do this anymore. Don't give God deadlines. God, I need you to answer this prayer by 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. He says, watch this. I'll ask you to answer it by 3 o'clock Tuesday afternoon in 27, 20, 20, 25. Don't, don't give God deadlines. And remember, when he says, wait on the Lord... God puts us in situations where the only option we have is to be in a fetal position or be carried off to some mental institution or we're going to trust him. There's the only two options you have. He says, well, you, you, you wait on him. And I want you to keep in mind, impatient people waste a lot of time. I'm, 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 I'm exhibit A. I'm exhibit A. Impatient people waste a lot of time. I know it sounds like a contradiction. Folks who make things happen before they should happen end up having to do things three or four times over. He says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Sit down. Let me speak to you. Wait on the Lord. Saul had that problem in 1 Samuel chapter 13. In fact, that was, that was the demise of Saul. Saul's impatience and his arrogance, just, just he was ripped away from the kingdom, was taken out of his hand. 1 Samuel 13 is, 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 is a clue. He was fighting up the, uh, the Philistines. He was supposed to wait there in Gilgal for Samuel to come, who was a priest. Saul was a king. He wasn't a priest. Saul was a king. He wasn't a priest. But because of his impatience and he felt Samuel was taking too long, he said, well, I can, I can offer up sacrifices. And Samuel shows up and said, you, you know, look, idiot, God didn't call you to do that. Because of your impatience, God's hand has been taken off of you. 
have a friend of mine who's, uh, whose company, he's CEO of this company, uh, it's a conglomerate actually, and uh, part of what they do is that his company owns a number of private airports. They own and manage a number of private airports. And so I, I was asking him this, I was with him right after this whole thing with the, the helicopter that killed Kobe Bryant and his and, uh, and uh, several others and his daughter. And I, and I was just asking about the whole weather thing there. And, and, you know, man. And he said something insightful to me, scared me to death. He said, Crawford, you would be completely surprised at the number of weather, quote, incidents uh, that take place in crashes when the real problem was this. He said, we have seen it time and time again. Some executive who owns the corporate jet uh, is in a hurry to get to Detroit or to Chicago at a meeting and the weather is iffy. And the pressure that he puts on the pilot, who by the way, he pays big bucks to, forces him, he says, okay, well, maybe we can make this happen. You've heard me say this a ton of times here at this church. The only thing worse than waiting on the Lord is wishing that you had. And here he says, look, wait, wait. But in the meantime, notice what he says. While you wait, in between those two commands, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, what do you do? In the meantime, be strong, take courage. While I'm waiting, I'm to strengthen myself. While I'm waiting, I'm to focus on the right stuff. In other words, speak hope to yourself. And I think during this pandemic, we need to be very careful about the words that we use. Now, I'm not talking about being disingenuous or being dishonest or being saying empty things, but we need to speak hope-filled words. Don't act as if the virus is in control. God is in control. Yes, take precautions, don't be stupid or foolish, but the virus is not in control. God is in control. Speak hope and then respond with God confidence. Act as if you know the God that you serve. Respond with God confidence. He's given us his his spirit, he's given us his word, And we can respond with that degree of God confidence. I was thinking about how I would land a plane on this message. And as I was studying and just reviewing things uh, the other other day, I was listening to some praise and worship music and this song came on. (laughs) Song is entitled Standing in, Stand in Your Love. And it's sung by Josh Baldwin. Many of you know the song. But the first verse of the song goes like this. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to to steal the joy I own, when brokenness and pains, and pain is all I know, oh, I won't be shaken, no, I won't be shaken. And then the chorus, it just repeats this line three times. Because my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. 
Nothing stands a chance in light of all, our almighty God. So what I'd like for all of you to do, those of you, if you're with your families listening around uh, a computer or looking at a screen or so, I, I'm going to pray right now and uh, we're going to conclude the service. But what I'd encourage you to do before you, before you rush off and eat your lunch, um, maybe take about 10 minutes with your family. Take about 10 minutes with your family and sit back and, and just, just think about those three grand statements. And ask one another, dialogue about it. What, what do we think about God? What does it mean that God is with us? What, is, what does it mean right now that we have all this time on our hands? Some of us, some of us are out of school and this kind of thing, or extra time. Rather than filling that up, there's no sporting things on TV, so that's off the table. <laughs> Rather than filling that up with other stuff, maybe think about how could we leverage and use this time to more deeply, passionately pursue our Savior? Some good books to read. Maybe there's some books of the Bible that you have not dove into, and this would be a great time to do that. Maybe you need to extend your prayer time. Maybe you've been so busy that you've not been very consistent about family devotions. Now's the time to do that. So how can you passionately pursue him? And maybe the last thing you need to talk about is, as a family, have we allowed impatience to cause us to make maybe not the best choices and decisions? What does it mean for us to wait on the Lord? Well, let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you that indeed you are with us. And God, I pray that you'll speak hope to us. And may we keep these things in mind. Uh, unfortunately, this stuff has a tendency to drift and leak from us. But God, will you remind us, will you remind us just who is with us? Will you help us, O oh God, to make the Lord Jesus our passionate pursuit and priority? And God, forgive us for allowing impatience to drive us to make unhealthy, unwise decisions, emotional choices, and that kind of thing. May we not try to deliver ourselves, but to wait on you and respond to you. Thank you, God, for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.